Hi, welcome to episode four of Stanislaus Queercast. I'm your host, Steph Landeros. My, per- my preferred gender pronouns are they and them. I'm a fourth year and I'm a sociology major. Hi, and I'm Jesus Alvarado. My PGPs are his, his, him. I am a junior. My major is Spanish with double minor in ethnic studies and journalism. So again, like last week, we have a few announcements. Uh, the first one is Stanford Trans. This event is actually taking place tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. I thought it was about, I thought it was 12, but it's 1 p.m. <laughs> um, on the corner of Gear and Monta Vista, across from the CVS in front of the large Stanislaus State sign. Yes. Um, again, for those of you who did not tune in last week, Stanford Trans is a march for transgender youth here in the Central Valley. Um, Typically, when you think about the Central Valley, you don't really think about this community, but this community does exist. It exists here. It exists everywhere. And so a group of people got together um, and wanted to show their solidarity and support for this community, um, given the current political climate that we've been put in by the administration, by the federal government basically saying that transgender people are not allowed to use the bathroom. And that create that has created a whole another set of <clears throat> issues um, in and of itself. And so, join us tomorrow for this event. It will take place in front of Stan State. Um, the organizers are asking people to bring a sign or sign making materials. They'll have a table out there on the sidewalk um, by one of the fountains. Uh, if you want to learn more about this event please log on to Facebook and look for them under the name of Stanford Trans. There's also signs up around campus um, that you could get more information on. And as always, trans rights are human rights. Yes, ma'am. I don't, do you want to announce the Pride Week events? Or Pride yes. Fest events, I should say? I will go ahead and announce Pride Week festivities. Um, so if you did not hear it last week, USU and ASA will be coming together um, for Pride Fest, which is... which partakes in the dates of April 19th through the 21st. Uh, April 19th will be the first day of such festivities. It will be the Pride Parade, which will be taking place at the Great Lawn here at CSU Stand from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. There will be a DJ, tie-dye options, and there will be making a huge fabric decorating. A huge fabric decorating... um, It's like a huge fabric decorating event. Like, they are going to basically have people come up and write uh basically words of support uh that will be displayed on the trend not transgender sorry i'm still thinking of stanford trans my bad the flyer <laughs> still is sitting in front of me um it'll be displayed on the day of silence which is that friday the 21st right yes yeah. and then that same night from 5 p.m to 8 p.m at the cbl the carol burke lounge. lounge yes they they will be hosting an open pride night, which is similar to an open mic night, and there will be p- a possible collaboration with BSU, which we have known they are pretty good at hosting open mic nights. So that would be really really cool to actually go see. And so they're looking for people to basically participate in the open pride night. Um, it's an opportunity for people to tell their story, tell. Um, each other like where you come from get to know one another um if you have any spoken word pieces that would be a great time to do a spoken word piece if you'd like to perform a song that'd be a great place to perform a song at um basically it's just like an open mic night uh except with an emphasis on pride all right and on april 20th it is not only 420 blaze it (laughs) 
It also is when ASI and USU come together and they host a drag show from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the event center. There will be basically drag performers, um, and students. Yeah, they're actually asking students to come out and, and participate. Yeah. So you could be a representative for your club to come out and participate as a drag performer. I myself have done it. In the past, it's really fun. Um, again, for those of you who didn't tune in last week, I am a drag performer <laughs> by <clears throat> the name of Vincent Parker. You should, fun fact, you should Google that name and then <laughs> you should comment on this episode and <laughs> let us know what you found. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's a really fun event. Uh, a lot of people attend it. If you've never been to a drag show, there's a really great opportunity to go to one. If you're not 21 or over, it's especially a good time to, to participate in this because, you know, drag shows aren't readily available for people who are under 21 because they usually take place in bars and clubs. That is true. So you should definitely come out if you're a freshman or a sophomore or a junior and you haven't um, been to a drag show. So that'll be taking place April 20th from mm-hmm. 6 to 8 in the event center. Yes. And on the final day of Pride Fest, because that's what they're calling the event, um, is National Day of Silence. So National Day of Silence, is, for those of you who don't know, is a day where peop- some people choose to take a vow of silence and not speak throughout the day to show their solidarity and support for those um, individuals who are bullied or have committed suicide or are not out of the closet yet um, or comfortable being themselves. So April 20th, I mean, 21st, not 20th, 21st, 21st, (laughs) there will be a safe space out on the Great Lawn where the Social Awareness Committee will be providing activities and games for students to be participating in. Um, So come out, join Love Evolution. Love Evolution will be a part of all of these events. So join us there. I say us because I'm a part of Love Evolution. Shout out. Yes. Um, So we'll be doing that. They'll be providing... uh, I don't know, because I, I know when I take a vow of silence, I put duct tape on my mouth, mm-hmm. and, like, I carry on a sign with me, so they'll be providing duct tape. I know that's a weird thing to say, like, oh, they'll be providing duct tape for your face. <laughs> um, so they'll be providing duct tape and signs for people to wear. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's that's kind of what, what Pride Week looks, or Pride Fest, I should say, looks like. Mm-hmm. It's from April 19th to 21st. And I, I, I like the fact that it's ending on National Day of Silence um, because, you know, like the whole bullying thing is really, it really hits home for me. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said in like in our first episode, like when I was coming out, you know, I was going through all this, I was facing like a lot of bullying and yeah. I was going through all these things. <clears throat> and um, I don't know, like, I feel like bullying never really leaves. Like, I feel like even within the LGBT community, there's mm-hmm. like some forms of bullying, like in terms of like, not like oh I hate you go die, but more uh-huh. more or less of like you're not really a gay person if you oh, don't know X right. Y and Z type of thing. You that know what I mean? True. Like uh, I don't know about you, but I I I have heard that said to other people, and I've always questioned it. Like, but what does it mean to be gay though? Like, what do you what do you mean this person's you know, not gay? I like, really what? dislike that comment just because it hits home to me. Like I've always been told that um i mean when i recently like started coming out to people they're like but you don't look gay yeah and i never understood what that <laughs> meant you know like the, the thing that most thrown me like threw me out was when people were like you don't dress gay and i'm just I, I, again I, like what does that mean exactly <laughs> but yes i really yeah. hate that comment 
And so to talk about that's going to actually today's topic. And to talk about that topic, we have a friend here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. So hi, I'm Shelby Zahn. I am currently a graduate student um, studying sociology. I'm in my first year. And um, preferred pronouns are she, her, and hers. And so I wanted to first talk about policing gayness um, and addressing the topic of what is too gay, what's not gay enough in broader terms, and then go to more specific instances. Uh, it might sound at first like I'm just talking really, really generally, <laughs> and it's like, will she ever get to the fucking point? But, um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but uh, no, um, this is just how I kind of tried to conceptualize it. But firstly, I want to say that I think it's important for us to keep in mind that policing gayness isn't something that exists in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It's not something that gay people or bi people or pan people, et cetera, are just doing to ourselves just because, you know, we want to get at each other. There's a larger reason. Um, and I would say that it's tied to he uh, hegemonic ideals surrounding masculinity and capitalism because we live in a capitalist, at least in American culture, I can't speak for other cultures, mm -hmm. but we live in a capitalist, um, you know, sexist, patriarchal, white supremacist society. So in the society, masculinity, I would say, is culturally defined, um, or rather culturally defines men as their ability to be breadwinners. And they're expected to be straight, strong, Christian, preferably white, etc., etc. And what's really important with that is their ability to earn and generate financial capital as well as their ability, I would say, to differentiate themselves from women and non-men, as well as other men, uh, due to a competition for these resources and for this capital, because there's an unequal distribution within larger society. And so women then become constructed as men's polar opposites, where we're expected to be alluring, young, straight, obedient, preferably white, and... Um, this bizarre mix where you're supposed to be virginal, but you're also supposed to be sexual, but in a mm -hmm. way that will service men. Which is really weird, because I think at some <laughs> point we talked about, like, the whole, like, wait, I don't think we talked about it in It here. was a comment that you and I made. Yeah, that how, like, how, like, the virginity thing is so awkward it's and weird. So that oh. Because, I don't know, that for me is, brings up the, the idea of, like, men or whoever fetishizes about this, having a fetish towards little girls? I don't know. Like, yeah. it's just so yeah. weird. I think it was just, like, a commentary after a Love Evolution meeting, I think. It, we were talking about, like, how... Or, I don't know. It was when we were with Ernie. We were doing something. Oh, we were studying in the study room. That's what yes. it was. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no. They it's, just yeah. brought that up, and it was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was also going to say we do live in a lot of ways um, in a pedophilic culture because there is that emphasis on youth and you know if you're over 21 and you're a woman it's like well you might as well just I don't know start wearing moo's and oh not God. exist anymore <laughs> um, which I mean that's such bullshit I mean mm -hmm. I look at my mom this is now I'm just going on a side tangent but my mom for instance she's in her 50s and she's not you know She's not going to not go to Pilates or not do karaoke mm -hmm. and not dress how she wants to dress just because someone's like, well, you're too old for that. Um, and then going more specifically into that, though. So basically women were taught to prioritize men's feelings and trust their experiences before our own. Mm -hmm. And we're also just expected um, or we should expect rather to be paid less than them. And we have to perform invisible labor a lot of the time. And this is why when you have two men or two women 
as a couple, that threatens the gender order. And that's when you'll get those really ridiculous questions mm-hmm. like, which one's the man? Yeah. Which one's yeah. the woman? <laughs> um, you know, when both are <laughs> men or women. Um, like, that's the whole point of the relationship, right? Exactly. Like, that's the whole point as to why you're gay we're as fuck. Same. Like, <laughs> hello. And so we'll see that gay men are feminized and they're constructed as not being real men. So that's how it would uh, tie into masculinity. Whereas lesbians, you see the opposite a lot of the times mm-hmm. where they're masculinized um, mm-hmm. and they're portrayed as not being real women. And in both cases, they have really real world consequences because with lesbians, for instance, they will often be attacked and sometimes, unfortunately, even correctively raped uh, because they're refusing to center men in their lives mm-hmm. emotionally or sexually. They're not, be, they're not making themselves available to men as a commodity. And you know, that can also happen to gay men as well. Gay men will also be sometimes be- beaten, killed. Um, mm-hmm. There are very real-world consequences. And so then I go to the question of what's too gay in a broader context. I would be inclined to say that essentially it would be anyone who's gay, anyone who's had gay sex or gay um, romantic relationships. But if you're white, if you're cis, if you're male and you're wealthy within this capitalist society, I think that they'll most likely be able to tolerate or kind of overlook it. Mm-hmm. Or if your gayness can be commodified or capitalized off yeah. of, which I was gonna talk about in terms of the corporatization of gay pride, where I find it really disheartening, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> the last time that I went to pride, and it was a few years ago, I thought it was really just disheartening to see that Burger King and <laughs> these alcohol companies were mm-hmm. there and especially because there is a problem with drug abuse and substance abuse in the community, mm-hmm. not just because, you know, that's innate or something, but because of the conditions, because of bullying, because yeah. of, you know, all these factors. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were just preying on that and they were turning it into this, you know, buy our product, give us profit. Um, and they were trying to make it look like we're so progressive and we care about you. The same thing with Burger King and the Gay Whopper. Mm-hmm. And they had an ad where I it was showing... That. Yeah, where they were showing a father and a son, and the son came out to his father. And they're trying to really capitalize off of, like, oh, this is such a tender moment, and we accept and love you. But it's like, mm. you don't. You care about profit because you're a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that, I don't know, like, I feel like, uh, wouldn't you say that, that that's what they do with a lot of different things? Like, not just in terms of, like, gayness, but, like, they also do that with, like, race like they target yeah. racial groups in the oh, same way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No. Basically everything I I would say, honestly. Anything that's profitable. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um but I just think because I remember when I had come home from Pride, um at the time I was just like, "Oh yeah, it's so cool that they did that." And my mom was like, "Why? They just want to make money off of you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you have a point." Um <laughs> right? You have But then talking about policing gayness, specifically within the community, um, talking about lesbians, what I've noticed is that butches will get a lot of shit for being too gay, too masculine, um, or even, and this is frightening to me, but too rigid, as though Mm -hmm. somehow the fact that they don't want to have sex with, you know, the fact that they only want to have sex with other women, oh, well, that's bad, and you're not being in- inclusionary. And <laughs> you're not that's... being inclusionary? That's exactly. so, yeah. so st- <laughs> What? Yeah, I and... I have a whole other, like, <laughs> side comment that I would like to say, but I'm going to hold off. I yeah. 
Um, and it's, I mean, it's disgusting because basically they're saying that these relationships are less genuine than bisexual, you know, relationships or pansexual mm-hmm. or straight. And um, I've also just then heard that butches are too much like men. They must actually want to be men um, or that they're predatory to femmes. And oh, yep. a lot there, of that, that, yeah, a lot of that just gets perpetuated, especially in uh, media stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But you also have these really horrifying articles. I saw one that was called something like, can lesbianism survive the sexual revolution? Oh my God, that's so <laughs> disturbing. Like, I, I would just like to add on to the, like, the butches, like, pre- being predatory on, of femmes, that, that point yes. that you just made. Um, I have a personal experience. Uh, I had a, I had a friend who actually just finished visiting me. Um, in high school, her dad basically was telling her not to talk to me or, like, not to be friends with me because I was, quote-unquote, treating her gay. <laughs> right? Okay, yes. Right? Okay. Not only that, but her boyfriend would get so mad so jealous and mad that she would be hanging out with me instead of hanging out with him 24 7. and so i would always be like yo girl like why is he being so weird like you're like Mm -hmm. what why is he why is he still lingering like i thought we were gonna go like do this other thing like why is he tagging along and she'd Uh be like honestly i don't i don't know um and so like there's this rumor started about like how i was just like trying to go out there and like turn her so gay and trying to take him from her because you know you know and like i'm really masculine and like you know i identified as a lesbian and so like oh god it was just so ridiculous so that point that you made really resonated with me because it's like she's I guess feminine, whatever definition you'd want to define that. But, like, yeah, like, more feminine than me, obviously, um, when you're looking at us. And so I feel I feel like I was portrayed as, like, a predator. Mm-hmm. And it was disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because when they're looking at you, they're thinking that, you know, I mean, unfortunately, and it's going to sound, I guess, like, very cynical or something that maybe people don't want to accept, but women tend to just be looked at as sex objects innately Mm -hmm. and so when you don't look how they think that you should look or if you're presenting yourself in a more masculine way then I think it kind of tells them like oh okay like I can't sexualize you you're my competition and so I think that's what's happening where they see you as competition as well as the fear that like okay well maybe you know you have something that you can give her that I can't give her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nope definitely Um, And then specifically, there's a work, I think it was from the 70s, but um, it was called Butch's Lies and Feminism by Jan Cordova. And she had written about her experiences. She uh, was butch, um, or is, because I'm pretty sure she's still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was saying how, at the time, lesbian feminists would give femme shit for wearing makeup and shaving, and they would give butches shit for being male identified for the fact that um you know they were wearing ties or that they wanted to lead when dancing they were saying that that was sexist Mm -hmm. and they were saying Um, that uh the femmes are female impersonators and really what they wanted was just androgyny like they wanted everyone to be as i guess ambiguous as they could Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't really realistic and i've also just seen when butches talk about sex openly you know, they're labeled sexist or really men or they're just basically too gay because mm-hmm. how dare you, you know? Or I guess it would be you're making us look bad because you're making it look like we just are sexual deviants, even <laughs> though it's like, well, last time I checked, you know, 
women who are attracted to women who have sex with them are probably going to talk about sex. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as what I've seen in relation to that that bothers me is lesbians as well as bi and pan women uh, claiming that their relationships are pure and clean and not at all sexual because that would just be disgusting. Like, like what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I'm confused. Could you elaborate? Like, what does it mean when they're saying, when they claim this? They're trying to say that um, their relationships, they're like, oh, no, no, our relationships aren't sexual because as a response usually to people saying like, oh, well, if you're gay or if you're bi or you're pan, then, you know, you're a sexual deviant. They're kind of just trying to desexualize their relationships completely to be like, oh, no, 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 we're not like that. But, um, I mean, then the downside is they're completely desexualizing it and putting it's like these weird cult of true womanhood virtues where it's like women are supposed to be pure and virginal and they're kind of perpetuating that of like, oh no, we just like hold hands and kiss and we're soft and we, we never have sex because sex is just something that you shouldn't have. <laughs> you know what's weird? Well, I hope it's relevant to this comment. Is uh, I ju- I, as you were speaking, I was just recalling a time when I first was a coworker with stuff like... Two years ago. Two years ago. Um, and there was another coworker who we went camping for mm-hmm. our job and we basically had like a circle talk and afterwards this friend approached me and he was like Oh, I remember. Um no, I don't think so. It was only him and I. I oh, I, th- okay. I know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, yeah, but but okay. he basically approached me and he was like I, I mean, because something to know about me is I'm an open book. Like, I honestly, I mean, the topic of sex and, like, talking about sex for me is nothing, like, awkward for me. It's just like, oh, yeah, let's talk about sex. Like, for me, it's fun. It's normal. It should be normal because everyone does it. Hopefully, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you don't, that's cool, too. Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I've always been open about, like, who I am and, like, what I do, I guess. But I don't cross the line, whatever the fuck that means, right? Where's and the line? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so this person, he, he's still my friend, but I was just recalling that the fact that he, after having the circle talk during camping, he approached me and he was like, hey, I found that. Do you, do you, would you agree with me that a lot of like gay people, um, you know, when they come out, they come out just to like have sex with the same sex. And that's why they're always like hyper and stuff. And like, they're always um, thinking about sex. And at that time, you know, I was new to the community. <laughs> I did not know how to respond to that. I don't even know what he really meant. I'm confused by that. Exactly. Like, and so I really did not say come, anything. Like, I was just, I, I, the only thing that I responded was like, well, like, I came out just because I'm, I, I came out as gay because I wanted to, like, you know, be accepted and for me to, like, black men be normalized, I guess. But I don't know. I'm confused, but I'm thrown. Like, <laughs> to so come ca- out. To, to just have sex with the same person, with the same sex that we've always like. So basically, like <laughs> adding like a predatory type of thing to it, like yeah, I guess. And I, I, as you were speaking about, like you know, others just see the lesbians and um, others as just like oh, like they're gonna or like you were saying, like your friend, your friend's dad thought that she was gonna be converted into like a lesbian if she hung out with you. Yeah. And that's Bullshit. what this person basically had as an idea. Like, oh, like, they came out just... they These people come out as gay or whatever, just, like, start having sex the way they want. And I and I was so confused, so 
I, I, I just made it just made me like think about it because you were talking about it, and it was just now that I think of it, very weird. That is weird. Like why? Yeah. Why would this person? Why did the? I wonder why this person felt the need to like come at ask you and me, ask yeah. me that. Hmm. Well, like I said, I feel like they felt the need to ask me just because, like, I don't know, like I'm I'm all over the place. Like I talk about everything, <laughs> and I think and it, and it had been after our circle talk. Um, so like I, I think we were playing like Never Have I Ever, and so you you get to know <laughs> a lot about people after that game. <laughs> so yeah, like, oh, so for those of you who don't know what Circle Talk is, so basically like it, at our job, like I, at my former job, <laughs> um, <laughs> I laugh because it's funny. Um, <laughs> at my former job, like we would go camping and like camping and like having like time together was a way to like bond and bond. stuff. And so Circle Talk was like, oh, you know, like. You kind of just give us just a little bit of piece of yourself to, so that way we know who you are who as a person, are. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, that was one of your things that you're like, I'm gay and this and that. And yeah, great. and then afterwards we decided, like, you know, we're all friends here. Let's get to know each other. Let's play mm-hmm. Never Have I Ever. <laughs> and so we played Never Have I Ever, and afterwards I guess people knew more about me. <laughs> <laughs> and this person, that's when this person, like, approached me, like, individually mm-hmm. and asked me that question, and I was just, like, weirded out. <laughs> I would be Because, like... <laughs> I don't know. But I also, what I couldn't help but think when I heard that was like, okay, so do they think that as soon as you come out, it's like, oh, okay, now everyone is just all over you and you get, you know, oh, like I get to, you know, be with this person and this person because it's like, I wish it would be that easy. I wish, (laughs) exactly. But reality is everyone's, (laughs) everyone's else is under a rock or not. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're just like normal people. Like, we're not out there like preying on people. Like, I, I get... I guess that's what people don't understand about us is that we're like normal people. We like have a type. We don't just go for anything. It's just I like feel you like know? that point has been reiterated like three times throughout the throughout this podcast uh, series. Yeah, <laughs> it's just something to emphasize. <laughs> yeah, and so to kind of conclude with the um, commentary about policing gayness among lesbians. Um, yeah, like I just think because of the nature of our society if you're a woman at all and you're talking about sex or you're sexual you're going to get flack Mm -hmm. just because it's something that oh you're not supposed to really talk about that you're not supposed to know about that um but i do just yeah i want to reiterate that it's not a problem you know if uh if someone doesn't want to have sex and it's also not a problem if someone is sexual and they're able to talk about it um, that's just kind of my ending of that segment. Um, and I'm just, I'm so tired of seeing people policing each other. Like, how dare you, you know, mm-hmm. talk about sex or, oh, you, you know, love oral sex and going down on someone that's so bad. You're terrible. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, God forbid women who are attracted to each other want to have sex with each other. Right. Oh my <laughs> and then, um, policing gayness for gay men. So moving on to that. I think um, a lot of the times gay men get shit for being perceived as too feminine or too feminized. So twinks and queens a lot of the times will get shit. And I've noticed that there's more of an emphasis on having to be a top. Like, I swear people a lot of times, just anyone, they'll be like, oh, no, I'm a top. I'm I'm never a bottom. I feel like people get so offended when you call them a bottom. Like, okay, I didn't know what a top or a bottom was, you know? Like, I didn't know they had, like... Because, you know, you could be a person that doesn't like 
the anal yeah and be it you know be on top or the bottom but like there was something more to that right so my fr- i asked my friend my my uh my friend roger i was like mm-hmm. hey so you know like what's this and he would tell me right mm-hmm. and he'd just go around telling calling people like hey hey bottom come here like i know he always has that <laughs> right like he would always do that and people would get so offended like i remember one time we were in love evolution he, he asked somebody something and they weren't listening to him like they yeah. were just kind of like off in the corner like I, I guess they couldn't hear him and he's like hey bottom and this person turned around got so mad and he's like i am not <laughs> i am not a bottom like no <laughs> like he was so mad and i was just like wait like is that a bad like because i i don't know you know what i mean so i'm just yeah. like is that a bad thing to be a bottom it's like not. like but I guess also Roger was using it for people to make it seem like it was something bad. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it but sounds like it. I, I uh, it, I mean, it kind of goes into the other thing that I was going to talk about. But I think it's because it ties into masculinity and how, mm. I mean, <laughs> from what I remember, someone will probably correct me if I'm wrong, but um, in Grecian times, wasn't it that there were men that were having sex with younger men um, or sometimes frighteningly, frighteningly enough, like even boys. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was the ones who were doing the fucking that were the ones that got respect. But the ones oh. that were being yeah, fucked okay. were the ones that were perceived as, oh, they're emasculated. They're just, you know, the receptive ones. They're essentially the women. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I guess that's why people I guess are that's so why offended. people have an issue with it. <laughs> Um, as well as then I also wanted to talk about how there's that tendency to say no fats, no femmes, and some people add on like racial epithets. Yeah, people do that <laughs> a lot. That's what you were saying right now. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was talking to you about early on Grinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also just because in my thesis that I've been somewhat working on, I'm looking <laughs> at masculinity and one of the studies that I found was talking about the gay uh, adult industry adult film industry, but Mm -hmm. the mainstream one. I can't really speak for any of the independent ones. And there's a lot of just perpetuations of white supremacy and fat phobia and all sorts of things within that, where at least for the particular companies in that study that were being examined, they did not want to hire anyone who wasn't white or else Latino. Like, they didn't want to hire Asians. They would almost never hire black people. Asians, I think, were like categorically just excluded, but they didn't want black men. And so I think for those two groups specifically, it would be because black men have been hypersexualized yeah. um, mm-hmm. regardless of sexuality. And Asian men have been, you know, desexualized. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, they're, what they were looking for was they wanted white, physically, you know, buff, but kind of skinny and... <laughs> just kind of this perpetuation of hegemonic masculinity mm-hmm. where in a way mm-hmm. I guess you could say they wanted them to be passable as straight they wanted mm-hmm. them to be muscular yeah. and have facial hair and mm-hmm. like kind of macho um, so it's it's sad that you'll see that but I guess that would be an example too of what's not gay enough mm-hmm. where if you're not that then mm-hmm. they don't really want you um, and yeah, that was all I really had to say about gay men, just because I, I guess I'm more familiar with a lot of the kind of policing that lesbians and bisexual women face. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? I don't know. I, I think we should go back to the comment that you first um, brought up when we presented the segment, is the fact that, like, you know, like, what is gay, what is not too gay? And that's when I brought up the point that, you know, those comments has always have always been thrown at me. 
because uh, as a kid, like, before I even came out, like, you know, I was, like, seen as, like, oh, like, he's gay, he's this and that. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm fully out, I still get shit. Like, literally, I had this one person come up to me, and they were like, oh, do you watch, what's it called, the drag Ru- show? RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, and I'm not into, like, entertainment that much, so I, I plainly just said no, like, what is that? And so this person is also gay, and they were like, oh, well, you're not a true gay then. Oh, you're not you're not gay enough. And that really hurt my feelings just because, like, knowing the fact that, you know, it almost, it almost took me 19 years to fully come out. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm fully out, I'm still getting fucking shit. And I was just like, what the fuck does that mean now? Like, wh- do I have to watch these shows to be, like, fully gay, fully accepted within the community? Like, like it's just so stupid. Like, yes, bitch! Yes! Right. <laughs> I mean, after a few drinks, I do say that, but, like, <laughs> not on a regular basis unless I'm just being, like, dumbass fuck. <laughs> but I, that was just, like, my question at that moment, and I spoke to Steph because we were on our way to San Diego, and so we, these drives to San Diego always bring, bring out good topics to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we always talk about stuff. That's when we should do this podcast. Hilda, come along. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I, I remember I I told Steph, like, hey, like, this, this kid, like... I call everyone kid. <laughs> I was like, hey, this kid, like, told me that I wasn't too gay just because I don't watch RuPaul's... Drag Race. Yeah. And that's when, like, Steph also got, like, really mad because it is true. Like, what does it mean to not be gay just because I don't watch this fucking show? Like, I don't get it. You see it, too, in sexual politics where it's the whole gold star gay or mm-hmm. lesbian mentality. And it's so stupid to me because it's <laughs> one of those things that I'm just like, how is that your business in any capacity? <laughs> Um, where people will say that, oh, if you've, you know, had sex, like if you're a gay man and you've had sex at all with a woman, then somehow you're less gay because, you know, you didn't remain pure. And it kind of also perpetuates virginity bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Or if you're a lesbian, (laughs) then, you know, oh, well, you had sex with a man, then you're not gay enough, you're you're less than. And I, I was just kind of thinking about it on the car ride over, and I think that maybe it's a reaction to um, being marginalized and then kind of wanting to be like, okay, well, if you're going to say that we're this and that we're other, then maybe we're going to try to be as, I don't want to say opposite, but we're going to try to really have our own um, subculture. Yeah. And we're going to try to maybe differentiate ourselves mm-hmm. and there's going to be a hierarchy that splits off into that because obviously not everyone is going to have the same interests or the same physical presentation, mm-hmm. like how they dress, what they're interested in. I think we've had that topic come up several times within Love Evolution. Um, there's a member, I don't want to say his name, um, but there's a member, and, and uh, I remember he was saying that one time that he came out to somebody, or somebody asked him something, and you know the topic of him being gay came up. And uh, out of nowhere, like the woman who was talking to him, she was like, oh, so like you can go shopping with me now? And he was like, What? Like, what? <laughs> and then she was what? like, well, you're gay. And he's like, okay, so? but I still don't get it. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. So I think that commodity part came mm-hmm. up, like, in terms of, like, you, if you're gay, like, you need to be my best, my GBF, my gay best friend, yeah, and you need to oh, come yeah. shopping with me because you apparently know everything mm. and anything about style. And it's just kind of like, what? <laughs> like, he was just so thrown off because, like, this entire time, like, she didn't bring anything up in terms of that. Like, they were just having a conversation. And then, yeah. you know, him, I think he was talking about his partner mm-hmm. and his relationship. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, went from one thing to that. 
and to he just was come just, with me shopping. Yeah, and wow. he was just kind of like, what? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I'm, yeah, it was ridiculous. It's just, yeah. like, nonsense. Like, how do they associate one thing with another? Like, I think that is my true question. Like, how, like for example, in my example, like, how did this person associate me not watching, like, this show with my sexuality? Like, where? <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, okay, so if you didn't know anything about drag queens or drag culture, the only see, reason I, I would see that as a quote-unquote issue or problem would be because like they were leaders in the gay rights movement you know but and see, i would I, and i would issue. take you I, it wouldn't be an issue because i'd be like oh, okay you don't know like let me teach you and then i talked to you about it but no, like, exactly but i did know what a drag queen yeah king was. That, that, that's uh, that's what i'm saying the fact but is like, that, like i did not show, watch the show yeah, <laughs> like this show is irrelevant to that you right. know like i, I don't know <laughs> no i get i get what you're saying and then again, like I said earlier, like when I came out to people, like they were like really surprised because apparently I do not dress gay, right? <laughs> or I don't look gay. And I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean too? Like, oh my God. So it's really weird. Because maybe you had to like be flamboyant in some way or another and you weren't. I don't know. I mean, there are, uh, there is, isn't it? It's called flagging, I believe. Um where there are certain like signifiers or ways that gay people will get each other to kind of you know give a sign like hey I'm gay, um, and there are certain things codes. yeah yeah codes huh. that you can give off, but for the most part my thing my view of sexuality has always just been kind of like it's not really any of your business mm-hmm. and <laughs> you it know? shouldn't be. Um, but that said, of course, I also think that people should be able to talk openly about it. I'm yeah. not for, like, obviously, oh, you have to repress that. But I just have always been like, how is that your business again? Yes. Um, and then I think that, yeah, you had asked a question about uh, why do gay men police gayness specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in answering that, I um, started to think about historical moments. I mean, there are so many since the dawn of time, obviously. But I was thinking about, just in answering that question firstly, I think that gay men police each other as a reaction to a history of oppression. Mm. And so I was thinking about the Lavender Scare from the 40s to the 60s and then the AIDS crisis in the 80s. Because going with the first one, the Lavender Scare, so in the 40s during World War II, there were gay men and lesbians that served in the military. And once the Red Scare kind of took off, that changed. They um, discharged. I was trying to say deployed for some reason. They discharged, <laughs> um, they discharged them from the military, and they were criminalized. A lot of them were directly assumed to be pedophiles, as well as communist collaborators. There was this belief that they would be easier uh, to blackmail. Mm-hmm. And then in 53, you had Eisenhower, who introduced the executive order 10450 which ganned i can't talk which banned gay people from working in the federal government and publicly outed people and so if you're being publicly outed in this time you know when you're assumed to be a communist collaborator and the united states hates communists even to this day um, then you know at that time people are probably not going to want to hire you and if you can't get a job, you're probably going to have to find other means of making money or else you're going to be in poverty. And then going into the AIDS crisis in the 80s, President Reagan refused to even say the word AIDS. He didn't acknowledge it for the majority of his presidency. And there was 
uh, first I should say actually that thousands upon thousands died because they were too gay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, many many gay men. There were over six hundred fifty thousand I think that died, and a lot of them were gay men. And there's this short documentary that kind of talks about the Reagan administration's reactions. It's called mm-hmm. When AIDS Was Funny. And it's where a journalist for the first time asked the deputy press secretary, Larry Speaks at that time, just the first ever question about AIDS. And everybody in that room just laughed. And he eventually mm-hmm. said, I don't have it, do you? Um, that was his reaction to that. And mm-hmm. so there was just, you know, I mean, I would say a pretty strategic way to ensure that, you know, gay people just die off. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 87 that ACT UP uh, started to raise awareness. And then Reagan finally appointed the Watkins Commission on AIDS. And so from just looking at the very structure of our society and remembering that it's capitalist, patriarchal, homophobic, it's just really mm-hmm. obvious that that's the type of society that we live in. And in order to thrive in that, you have to have capital and preferably be a man but of course we have to remember that not all men have equal power because there is an unequal distribution Mm -hmm. and gay men have historically just been emasculated and feminized and so if you're having a harder time within a society where the goal is to make profit and to earn Mm -hmm. money and you're having a hard time doing that because you're being discriminated against in the workforce, then you're gonna lose your status as a breadwinner, which kind of ties back into what I was saying earlier. And so if you're not a breadwinner as a man and you're working class or you're poor or you're gay and society hates both of those things, Mm -hmm. then you can perhaps try to reclaim your masculinity as a means of capital. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be financial capital, but at least you have gender capital. Social capital. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, so policing each other, I think, would become a defense mechanism because if you're not conforming to hegemonic ideals about American masculinity and you're not renouncing or distancing yourself from gayness, if people can look at you and read you as gay, then you're going to be more likely to be harassed, bullied, beaten, or sometimes even murdered. Mm -hmm. And so then acting straight, you know, portraying yourself as muscular and strong and healthy, especially when the government, you know, during the AIDS crisis you know, just kind of let you die off and Mm -hmm. watched you wither, you know, maybe the muscularity and portraying yourself as being very healthy is going to be seen as a sign of resistance to that, Mm -hmm. to resist the stereotype that you're weak, passive, feminine, and essentially a woman instead of a real man. Mm -hmm. So you can also see that there's a lot of misogyny in it. And I guess not gay enough could also possibly be a response that gay men who aren't trying to be as stereotypically masculine might have maybe because they feel, you know, that they're being unfairly judged for being too feminine, so maybe they're going to say, well, you're not gay enough. Mm. Um, But for the most part, I usually hear that someone is too gay. Mm -hmm. I've had friends who are gay men, who are bi men, who are pan men, who are just kind of like, oh, well, they make us look bad, or I don't want to be like them, or I don't want them to date me or have anything to do with me. And so that's what I tend to hear. And I Mm -hmm. think it's because we're taught to devalue anything that can be associated with women. True, because I remember, um, because I'm doing like a research project for my, one of my, two of my classes. And so one of the things that like, one of the points that I made in my intro Mm -hmm. is that it's okay to be, it's okay to want to be like a man, but it's not it's never okay to want to be like a woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like ever, because it's okay to want to be strong, but it's not okay to want to be weak, quote mm-hmm. unquote. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the associations 
that are with, you know, like being a male is being strong and being a woman is being Mm -hmm. weak, which is a bunch of bullshit, (laughs) as we know, but, you know. (laughs) And then um, I think, yeah, you had asked how do the stereotypes help us to connect, was it? Mm -hmm. So for me, since I'd been talking about the broader kind of sociological structure of society and the context, all of that, I would say that they connect to gay men and lesbians as a, as a subordinated mm-hmm. class. And since both are negatively impacted by a homophobic, patriarchal, capitalist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, society, they can, both groups, maybe form certain bonds and engage in coalitional politics, you know, act in solidarity. Of course, it doesn't mean that there's no differences between the two groups because there are going to be gender differences. There's going to be race that also affects it, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think that it could maybe uh, help foster a sense of community where if people are able to come together under shared struggles, then maybe they can, you know, work together to achieve whatever they want to achieve politically. Or mm-hmm. even if it just means having friends who are going to treat you with respect and yeah. not give you shit. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that stereotypes um, are always necessarily a bad thing because I know that some people might consider butch and femme to be um, negative, but a lot of lesbians who identify with either term, for them, it's a way to kind of help them navigate through the world, you know? It's a way for them to understand their gender as well as their sexuality, at least from what I've understood. I also see it as a form of flagging, like you were mm-hmm. mentioning earlier. Like, it's a set of codes, you know? Yeah. Um, not necessarily saying that, like, all lesbians do the one thing. Because I remember I mentioned in a in one of our podcasts, I think it's the, the Code Switching podcast, oh, how, like, there's, like, the head, lesbian head nod, you know? You're <laughs> yeah. just, like, walking by and just go, like, you know, mm-hmm. just shift your head, head weight up or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's just one of those things that, you know, some people get it and some people don't. And it doesn't mean that, like, that rule applies to everybody. That is it, true. It doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, some people just, I don't know, maybe, especially because our society is so homophobic, it's not really something that we're necessarily going to be taught to really pick up on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, definitely feel you on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so today, or last week was, not today still stuck in last week <laughs> well last week was uh caesar chavez day and we didn't get a chance to commemorate him on our podcast because you know he's a really great individual and we had the day off we did uh, i'm looking at my notes here oh uh, we were supposed to do what oh what did you want to so, do I, said, I think you said something along the lines of like because i I mean, as you guys know, or may not know, but Cesar Chavez was, is still a huge Chicano icon within the Chicanx community. Um, he did fight, you know, for a lot of um, farm workers. Wait, no. Yeah, a lot of inequalities that took that place. That were happening um, within the fields. Within the field. So, you know, he's the one that would form the, the strikes and, for, yes. and call for labor unions. Um, because the workers were being treated unfairly, unfairly and being paid shit and stuff like that. Yes, and he is from Delano, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So he's from here, the Central Valley, and we're here in the Central Valley. Um, and that's why Cal- That's why the CSU's got the, the, the day off. Yes. So I wanted to see what Chicano literature you guys have read before, kind of in memory of him. 
I know I've read quite a lot, but my favorite till this day, and it has always been my favorite, um, is a book. Um, what's its name? I literally had it last night in my hands. It's and the Earth did not devour him. Oh, I've read that. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. It's such an amazing. Can you talk about it? Because I, I have. It's idea. basically about, and if I, you can jump in, Shelby, if I miss a few <laughs> points, because <laughs> I have not read this book since like last year. Oh, um, it's been longer for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's honestly a really good book that basically, I, if I were to ever synthesize the Chicano experience, it would be with this book. Um, it's basically about this kid, who has who has parents, migrant parents, so they move um, from place to place in order to find jobs within the fields. And um, this kid, he he goes throughout, throughout his childhood knowing that his parents work in the fields. Not only his parents, but also his aunts, his uncles, and even him himself, like little kids like him. And so he experiences so many deaths in his family because I guess at that time, if I'm not mistaken, it was around the... I'm not even going to assume that time because I forgot the time. But it was basically when um, field workers were dying off of tuberculosis and mm-hmm. other pesticide things. And so his uncles have mainly died because of TB. And so his dad comes home and he gets really, really sick. And he's like, well, now what? Like, is the earth now going to take my dad? Like, he works for the earth and now the earth is going to eat him up. And so one time he was walking um, home I forgot where he was coming from, and he was just, like, cussing at God and, like, telling him, like, hey, why did you take my uncle, and now you're going to, like, potentially just take my father, like, if you, blah, blah, blah. Excuse me. And after he, like, got that out of his chest, like, he literally, like, saw the earth, like, open up and almost eat him up. But obviously that was not real. That was just his imagination because that's how mad he was. And after that, he went home and he did not speak of that instance to his family because his family was really religious. So they would, like, punish him, I guess, if he were to say what he did or said to God. And so that same night, he just went to sleep thinking about what he did and what he imagined. And then the next morning, like, his dad was, like, not sick anymore. And so I guess my I, the reason why I picked this as my favorite Chicano literature is because this kid literally represents, like, the struggles, like, you know, he he doesn't spend so much time with his parents because his parents are either like working around the house or just like working in the fields. And because I repre- he, he proves, he proves a point like, you know, migrant parents, like they work the land and the land itself kills them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a really huge metaphor that this kid like presents throughout the book. So that's mine. <laughs> um, I think mine probably isn't as powerful as yours because the only reason I like this one is because it was, like, the first one I read, and it, like, really resonated with me at the time. It's called Parrot in the Oven. I'm not sure if you were familiar with the book. I don't think so. I think it has, the author's name is Victor Morquinos. And so, basically, it's this kid with, that has migrant parents, and um, they work in the fields every single summer. Mm-hmm. Every single summer. Um, and so, for some reason, like, his nickname... I think is like parrot or perico, like oh, yeah. in Spanish, perico, because yeah. he like <laughs> so as funny. a child he would always like repeat everything that like and talk a lot. Yeah, and he would talk a lot, mm-hmm. and so at some point like he complains about it being so hot outside, and so they call him parrot in the oven, right? Like oh, he's in the oven. Okay. Um, but it takes place here in the Central Valley, and mm. as an adolescent, like he's learning 
about all these different like all these different things that you learn as an adolescent like he's going mm-hmm. through puberty he's like learning about girls and all these things and you know he ha- he's moved around he he basically follows the la cosecha like mm-hmm. he follows the harvest yeah. around so he's always moving like not only here in california but he also moves out of california mm-hmm. and to other you know um, other states to follow the harvest so his parents could, you know, have some money. money. Um, or sometimes, like, his dad is the only one that leaves and, like, leaves them here in California. So he finally finds a school that he stays at uh, for a long time. I read this book when I was in, like, I don't know, middle school. So some things are a little blurry. Yeah. But I think it really resonated with me because, like, they're from a working class background and, like, mm-hmm. I come from a working class background. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the summary of the book basically says like it's it's the kid you know his name is Manny he's the main character and mm-hmm. he's like talking about how like his dad said that people are like money sometimes you have hundreds sometimes you have fifties twenties tens and fives but people like Manny and his family they were pennies yeah because that's how they were seen mm-hmm. in society mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah and I um. I had the privilege when I was a student here, uh, my senior year, actually being able to take a Chicana activism class. And one of the pieces that we read was an excerpt from an anthology called This Bridge Called My Back by Gloria Anzaldúa and uh, Cherie Moraga. And I think that that was such an important work, especially because it was published in the 80s. And if you just look at the Chicana movement historically and all of the conditions that led to its creation, I think that it was a great way for them to give voice to a group of feminists, a group of uh, lesbians um, that were being overlooked and ignored and just categorically excluded. They were accused of being too divisive when they were you know, trying to talk about gender in the Chicano movement, and then they were accused of being too divisive when they were talking about race or ethnicity in the larger feminist movement that was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was a great way for them to ensure that they would get, as they would say, uh, third world uh, feminist voices out there, uh, women of color specifically, specifically Chicanas. Mm -hmm. And it was just nice that they could have a lot of you know, gay, and I think there were some maybe bi women just talk about their experiences. Yes. Those are really good literature pieces. So if you've never read a literature piece, be sure to check out one of these three pieces. Yes, I would highly recommend Tomás Rivera as an author. He's like the main Chicano literature person. I love him. What's a book, what's a recommendation? I'll give you a few seconds to look it up. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, so I am really guilty of being whitewashed because I say whitewashed because I don't really know all that much about my own background and my history. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as like I don't, I haven't read much Chicano literature, but I read The House on Mango Street. <laughs> <laughs> so Tomás Rivera is actually the author for and the Earth did not devour him. I read this book both in English and Spanish. I prefer it in Spanish. <laughs> It's more beautiful. But I mean, obviously, not everybody knows Spanish, so there is an English version of it. There is an English version. Well, Shelby, thank you for coming by today. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Stanislaus Queercast. We'll catch you later. Bye, guys. Bye.